Hello, everybody. Welcome to the New Zealand Initiative podcast. I'm James Kirstead, a research fellow, and today I'm delighted to have with me Paul Kilmartin. Paul is a professor within the School of Chemical Science at the University of Auckland. So thank you for coming on to the podcast, Paul. You're welcome, James. Good morning. So I was just looking at your CV, and you've done a range of very interesting things here, and one of them seems to be a Bachelor of Sacred Theology from Rome, no less, as well as a Master of Theology, I think. So can you just talk a little bit about your, your life history? So I assume that you were, you were training to be a priest? Well, that's right. And I do bring a lot of different life strands to the issues we're talking about today. So when I left school, I went straight actually to university and started my chemistry degree. But then after a year, I moved up to the seminary in Green Meadows, where it was located then, the Society of Mary. And it went right through that, including returning to university to train in chemistry, to teach at secondary schools. And completed that, was ordained and worked for two years at St. Bede's College in Christchurch. After that, I left from the Society of Mary and came up to Auckland and continued my chemistry studies and PhD in electrochemistry and have been in the department ever since for the last 30 years, in fact, PhD student, then lecturer and now professor. Great. So could you maybe explain briefly for non-chemists uh, what parts of chemistry are interesting to you and what parts do you research into? Yes, well, my main training has been in electrochemistry, which is everything to do with electrodes. All of our devices, computers, cell phones, electric cars are powered by lithium-ion batteries, huge interest in that, solar cells. There's, there's a lot of green technologies that which are electrochemical, as well as I do a lot of work with sensor systems to monitor things in the environment, particularly in wine. So that's another big area. We developed a, a wine science program in 2003. So I've worked a lot with the wine industry to look at the aromas of Sauvignon Blanc and the mouthfeel of Pinot Noir. And along the way, also looked at some polymer projects. So, so between electrochemistry, polymers, and wine, I do do a diverse range of projects, but related in, in, in some ways. Right. So that sounds like a good research avenue, if you like a bit of wine, wine tasting every, every now and then, right? Absolutely. Yes, yes. A okay. great industry to work with, yes. Right. All right. So one, one more thing about your background. I, I notice also that you have Maori Whakapapa. I read here. Uh, that you're of Nai Tahu descent and you're a trustee on two blocks of forested land provided to the family under the 1906 Silna Act. And you've also done research mm -hmm. into family history connected to your home mariah at Fenwa. And you've also deposited some of that research with the Nai Tahu Whakapapa unit. C can you talk a little bit more about that? Well, that puts, yeah, for the last 40 years since I sat at the feet of my four grandparents, I started to research family history on all sides. And one of those leads back to a European whaler marrying a Maori woman in the 1830s and having a family that I'm descended from. So I've taken a great interest to develop the whakapapa, the genealogy stories, and I've written that up, passed it on to my extended family, and, and as I say, interacted with the very, very, very capable Naitahu Whakapapa unit over the years, and have continued to, as I say, maintain links across the tribe in several areas. Okay, great. So what, what I really invited you on to talk about today is this whole debate about Maturanga Maori and science. So in particular, the idea that Maturanga Maori or Maori traditional lore, or some would say Maori traditional knowledge should have a place in the school curriculum. So when did you first become concerned about this issue and why do you think it's important? 
Well, I suppose I got yeah, a year and a half ago, there was the famous listener letter from seven professors at Auckland, which raised some questions and it sparked a lot of debate. And when I looked into the content of the letter, particularly the early stages of the letter took, took issue with some aspects of the curriculum development. And when you had a look at the, what was happening in the curriculum, there were some valid concerns there that I wanted to research further. And one of those particularly involved the NCA Level 1 curriculum for chemistry and biology, which was being developed, and the inclusion there of certain concepts from Mataranga Māori, which just didn't gel as a chemist. And these are the terms like Māori and Whakapapa, which I can go into a bit more detail following. So it really followed from that, and, and I spent several months then realising that I was lacking a considerable background knowledge, so consulted with a lot of people, read, read as widely as I could before then, bringing these topics to our chemistry department and the Institute of Chemistry, and then interacting with chemistry teachers as well. So a very active year last year on different fronts to, as I say, establish more dialogue in this area. And that's been another thing that's been really lacking is, is good conversations around this to inform the debate, to interact with chemistry teachers and others who, who need to teach areas like this in the future. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And you contributed to this in an admirable way. I think you've actually sort of written a, you've gone and researched these concepts, and then you've written up a full article, which is quite nuanced and complex. And the article in question is called Mataranga Maori and Chemistry Teaching. And then in quotation marks, Modi is present in all matters. So this is in chemistry, the journal Chemistry in New Zealand, October 2022. Okay, so let's now dive into this concept of Modi. So for people listening, maybe I should make clear in case my pronunciation isn't very good, which it probably isn't, that what we're talking about now is not Maori, the word for the people, but Māori, M-A-U-R-I. And I, I just about to say it means something like spirit, but it's more complicated than that. So can you tell me what does Māori mean and what has it meant in the past? Yes, yes. So start with the word mo, uh, Māori, to get this as clear as possible. And I'll just put a point out that this article is available online, free of charge, if you go to the Chemistry in New Zealand website, volume 86, issue 4, has got it. Anyone can download to read this in more detail. But what I found that th this concept is, has, has a wide range of interrelated uses within current Māori culture, and historically has been defined in different ways. And, th and that's an interesting story to see the development of understandings of the term. Specifically within the chemistry curriculum, though, it, had a, it was given a specific definition. And that is, Māori is present in all matter, and that all particles have Māori. Sorry, and the definition is that this is firstly a vital essence or life force of everything. So that immediately conjures up, relates to concepts that chemistry have encountered many times in the past. And really in the 19th century, there was this interaction between theories of vitalism, of, of life forces that may be needed to explain phenomena, which in the end were seen as, as, as captured by uh, chemistry as we now understand it. So it was a concept that just didn't sit well from my chemistry background. And I really questioned whether this was the right place to explain this concept within the school curriculum. Okay, so just to play devil's advocate, you have this concept of sort of spirit or life force or something. And some people might say, well, you know, what's the problem with that? Because, you know, we can teach the students what we know about the standard Western model or the standard model, whatever you want to call it, of how particles work. And then there's this other thing, life force, and it doesn't really do much in the system, but it's, it's just a nice way of thinking about it. You know, that everything is, is, is infused with life force. And, you know, also 
Maori culture has been marginalized for much of New Zealand history. So this is a way of, you know, putting a little Maori culture in as well. What, what's wrong with that? Well, you'd make the same case of many, uh, the, the concept is well right, spread throughout the Pacific, for example, Pacific lines, islands, and then you go to even China and Japan have related the concepts of key of a life force has very similar meanings. But yeah, you know, it's not something that we in any way measure or understand or find relevant to understand chemical properties of matter. And so we're introducing a concept which, okay, yeah, people under, you use this concept and still do to explain things about the modern world and the world they experience, but it doesn't really, isn't really consistent with modern chemistry. Now, I'll just add here immediately that there are some other meanings and uses of Māori, which I find very useful. And one of these is a second definition provided of the life-sustaining capacity. So this is where you might look at a river, and if it's highly polluted, you could say that the health of that river is low, it's bad to swim in, it's poisonous to drink, whereas a cleaner water system would have lots of fish living in it, safe to swim in. A way in Maori terms is to say that the Maori is high, is elevated in that healthy river and low in the unhealthy river. So I could see in the future more use of being made of the term even in wider society in that way, but without going into that cosmological dimension that there is a, a life force present in all matter that we must recognize throughout the world. So in what you were saying there, it seems like you'd be in favor of using Modi to refer to, you know, the amount of life in an ecosystem, you know, how thriving it is in terms of its biodiversity. But uh, am I right in thinking that there were some of these materials or suggested materials which wanted to say something a little bit stronger, which is that there's a kind of bias in the universe towards life and there's a sort of push towards life. That doesn't seem to be so supported by evidence, right? Well, that's right in our current understanding in chemistry and physics of the universe, but it has been an idea that's been raised many times and is still, you know, have we fully explained the origin of life from chemical evolution? That's an area of, I was very interested in before I started my current studies of how experiments have been done to show how the molecules of life, the amino acids and so forth, can be produced in experiments simulating the early prebiotic soup and so forth. But from there right through to the living creature, is, there's a lot of gaps there in how we might simulate or understand what's going on. So a perfectly reasonable, rational reaction to that is to say that there's some other principle driving the whole evolution towards a goal. But it's not, that's it's not an idea that is supported by current biological and chemical thinking in the main. Right. So, so it's, it's, it's a good one to, to, to think about yeah. and debate, but we, we don't usually teach that in our mainstream science. Right, so that's interesting. So that's that what you've talked about there is, a, I, I would say, pretty from, from what I can tell, a pretty heterodox idea within chemistry and biology. So this is an interesting feature of this debate that we're talking about. We often talk about academic freedom in universities and also what's happening in the school curriculum. And I, for one, I, I would be happy, for example, to have someone come in and talk about these ideas in a university context, maybe, you know, as a, an invited lecture or something. Do you not think it's different, though, when, when, when we come to school curricula? What we're usually doing there is trying to impart to students the sort of established knowledge, the stuff that basically all the professionals agree on. Well, to a large extent, I think, yeah, you know, you're lay, laying the foundation for later learning. 
But I think our students at that age are ready for some critical thinking as well to, as I say, expand their ideas and see yeah, the history of the scientific ideas to see how some concepts have remained and others have been discarded and, and to also understand this, the provisional nature of science and chemistry, that uh, some things may still be overturned in the future if we, if we get new observations and so forth. But at the same time, yes, yeah, I see what you mean about, yeah, particularly you wanting a solid foundation of well-established science to perhaps be the mainstay of the curriculum. I think there's a trend to have more philosophical and history of science thought brought in, which I, I'm really interested in. But as I say, there's a, quest, a wider question here of how much time you spend on that when you're short of time to train up people well in the maths and the chemistry and the, and the physics that they'll need for later careers. We're really struggling, I think, and this, this is a wider observation of the math skills, for example, of people coming into the science levels at the university and are having to put on extra courses to upskill their maths. So as I say, anything which continues to take time away from the hard yakka, the, the, the time on the sciences is something I think we, we need to be a bit careful that the, the subject doesn't become 50% philosophical and history of science and less and less time go into the core foundational aspects that are, are well-established worldwide. Yeah, I would agree that New Zealand needs to do a better job of the basics in, in maths and science. I mean, the, some of the New Zealand Initiative's own work has shown that, you know, our PISA scores have been dropping for years, even though internal assessment, you know, our own uh, sense of where we are is, is, is that we're, we're getting better or remaining constant. But actually, as, as I say, the more, the more objective international numbers tell a different story. And, uh, and my own personal sort of anecdotal experience as a humanities lecturer, I would say that Yes, uh, New Zealand students on the f at first year level have, a, have an issue with writing as well. Not all of them. I mean, I think I'd say the top third of the distribution are doing quite well, but the, the, that bottom third, I think, is, is very weak, weaker than you, than you would expect, I think, in other countries for their writing skills. So yeah, we have to get this right, So, which is good that people like you are taking such an interest in the, what goes into the curriculum. So can we just have a short update about this then? So Modi in the school curriculum, we discussed it sort of philosophically, in terms of the sort of politics and the, and the back, back and forth of sort of reforms, suggestions made to changing the curriculum and then people putting out new drafts and things like that, what stage are we at now with Modi? Well, it's this, this is yeah an issue as well, because uh, a year ago when I gave my seminar 12 months ago in, this, in the school, this concept of whakapapa and Mori were in the, included in the so-called big ideas and learning matrix for the NCA one, which was being trialled in a few pilots, they stayed in despite overwhelming feedback from chemists and others to the phase two trials that the concepts weren't right in this case. So 76 people gave feedback just across NCA one chemistry and biology, 28 over a third specifically said this concept of Maori is in the wrong place for various reasons, but it stayed in. And the reason given by the ministry was that because of the concept of equal parity for Mataranga Māori, mana orite mo te Mataranga Māori, that these had to stay, regardless of these concerns raised by teachers consistently and so forth across time. And so the responses were the, the teachers needed to upskill in these, they're staying, and uh, yeah, that, that was very concerning. Now, throughout last year, I don't know what was the catalyst the teachers, again, putting their views forward, as I say, various podcasts like the, the Shape of Dialogue with various people commenting on this. But in December, suddenly these concepts were taken out of the big ideas and the learning matrix. So without explanation, 
but they were left in other areas. So we have a new set of big ideas, but the assessment material, the sample course plans are all related to the year earlier plans. And so they're filled with Maori and, and whakapapa in them. I don't know how the teachers who are doing pilots this year are getting on with such a, a mismatch of content, but it shows that the, yeah, we're going through a transition. We're seeing the concepts left in the glossary, but they've been re removed from other areas. So, And the trouble is it's not being openly discussed. We're not seeing from the ministry clear information about why these changes are being made, what's going into the discussion. It's sort of all behind closed doors. And it's been hard to, yeah, as I say, get some, get some dialogue going on these topics. Right. So one idea that I hear quite often is the idea that, you know, we shouldn't open this completely to discussion because a lot of people who are against having Maturanga Maori in the curriculum, they're, they're coming from a sort of bad faith place of you know, contempt for Maori culture and racism. In your impression, in your experience, has that been a big feature of the responses that have been put into this, these proposed changes? Because you just mentioned that, you know, that all these teachers wrote in saying that we, we don't think this Maori is in the right place in the curriculum. Were a lot of those responses sort of openly contemptuous of Maori culture or did they take a different tack? No, and you can, you can read, I, I listed six of the responses in this, in this article in Chemistry in New Zealand. They're very sensible and, and, and respectful responses. So some saying we need to learn about this concept, but in other parts of, uh, of the curriculum. I've also, uh, I've, I've talked to as many different people as possible over the last couple of years on this. And I find that, you know, the people who have been opposing it actually very respectful and wanting to see Mataranga Māori introduced in other ways, in other areas. So wanting to wanting to get it right and wanting to see Maori students thrive in in the classroom. So as I say, I think uh, you know, as I say, if anything, restricting dialogue, and that's that's happened. At, you know, we've been looking forward to opportunities for for dialogue at our universities, particularly the University of Auckland. It keeps being delayed, and I think just that uh, that suppression of opportunities is very frustrating for people. Right. And so you know, I, I believe that we need to, as I say, use our our forum that we can at universities to actually bring some of these issues to light and have people talking uh, to each other in a more public way. I would definitely agree with that. I mean, especially because I, I often find that when you do discuss these things, it immediately becomes less polarized. I think people fear the discussion is going to make it more polarized. But often when you discuss things with somebody, you, you discover that there are things that they think which actually agree with your conceptions more than you thought. You know. Absolutely. And I've seen this where some of the key players uh, who we think would be on opposite sides of the tables have been having some marvellous discussions and really enriching each other's viewpoints. So I'd like to say uh, what we see in the social media, of course, is of some very critical and presentation or, or downplaying of people and, you know, that, that, that were just, you know, is, is un, un, unfortunate. But yeah, yeah, the, the, the good people are there who will then bring and, and and in the end they'll disagree on some things and that's good yeah. i think i think that's where we want to get to respectfully listen point views across and and i'm all the time changing aspects of what i think about it as i hear good ideas from different people yeah i mean in some ways it, it's it seems to me that twitter is one of the worst places you could discuss these things i mean i'm sort of generally in favor of openness and people expressing their views in any, any format that right, they think right. is appropriate but i i think i'm not the only one who's been struck in the past few years by how uh, certain social media uh, platforms seem to almost predispose people to making very sort of partisan points and to, I guess because it seems to get people more attention if you are trying to humiliate your 
uh, interlocutor rather than uh, building Yeah, I know what you mean. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. So you also mentioned that, in, uh, I should just draw this out for the listeners who may not be aware, but you also mentioned that there was a sort of promise or pledge to have a discussion at the University of Auckland. And I think what you're referring to there is that Don Freshwater, the vice chancellor of Auckland University, said at one point that there would be some kind of conference or colloquium organized at the University of Auckland. Is that just in, within the science faculty? or? But anyway, that's, there was some pledge along those lines that it hasn't yet come to pass, but perhaps will in the future. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's still still being looked at and, and may happen this year. So, and, and that would be university-wide in terms of that. You know, I, think, I hope we would have more within our own faculty of science as well. We've had some good seminars at times from and within individual schools and departments, but uh, as I say, I think we should look for more opportunities for some debate and things. So, okay, so you've written this whole. Um, I'll add it. Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to add. At, at the same time, I'm looking forward to this year for for ways, more positive ways, to bring examples into our into our curriculum, particularly at the tertiary level, because we're going through a curriculum transformation, which means we will look for for ways to use good examples from Mataranga Māori. And a subject like chemistry, uh, I don't believe there would be need for, for lots of time in the subject, but there'll be issues like areas like as, as we learn of, of, of medicinal properties of plants and sea, seafood, for example, that there's a more correct way to go about that as researchers to interface with Maori iwi and doing so. So learning about that, and there's quite a bit of research has been done in those areas, I think would be good to include in a more formal way in the curriculum. And if people can wait another month or two, the next issue of Chemistry in New Zealand, which has been sent around to NZIC members, includes two marvellous reports from two PhD students from Otago who have worked with local iwi to look at the properties of chemicals from manuka and kanuka trees and another one on kaimoana, the lipids and, and nutritional properties of seafood. And so I think they're great examples of the kind of things we can bring in more to our chemistry teaching. So I'm trying to focus more on those this year for our curriculum developments at the University of Auckland. Right. So I was just reading or rereading, I suppose, Jared Diamond's classic book, Guns, Germs and Steel. It's all about, you know, why different societies, why Western societies became so prosperous uh, in the early modern period and other societies were sort of left behind. And one of the things I was reading last night, he talks a lot about food production, you know, how different societies became agricultural and others remained right, hunter, hunter right. gatherers and so on. And uh, the section I was reading last night, he was saying how there seems to be quite a lot of research by sort of Western or mainstream scientists talking to indigenous people around the world about plants and uh, seafoods and things like that, resources in the natural environment. And all of these studies seem to show that the native peoples are very, very good at this. They have a lot of knowledge right, of right. Uh, foodstuffs. And Diamond yes, even tells yes. the story that he was doing research in Papua New Guinea and they, they, with this, tri- he was living with this tribe, and they were running out of food. And at one point, they said, uh, "Oh, we'll just gather some mushrooms and eat them." And he said, "You got to be careful. I've heard that some mushrooms yes, will be yes. poisonous." At which point, they all erupted in laughter, and they said, "Do you not think that we would know which mushrooms are poisonous and yes, which, yes, which aren't?" Yes, and of course, yes. they knew perfectly well. So, yes, so yes. that does seem to be that does strike me as an area in which you might say, "Okay, there is this thing, Maturanga Maori, traditional lore, traditional knowledge." And in, in that province, there is a form of empirical knowledge. Mm. Now, at the same time, it, it seems to me that the authors of the listener letter weren't necessarily saying that that wasn't empirical knowledge. They were trying to say something else, which is that Mataranga Maori, even if you use the definition put out by the Royal Society of New Zealand, 
Maturangamari also includes other things, right? So songs and prayers and so on. And maybe those elements are not part of science. And, and a further argument, maybe a little bit more controversial, is that even though Maturanga Maori might have some indigenous know-how or some know-how about the environment, environmental know-how, it sometimes or usually didn't take the further step towards explanation and general principles. Do you think that's, uh, I'm talking along the right lines here? Or? Well, I think so. I'm aware from writings by people like Charles Royal who wrote about what is Maturanga Maori, I think a 2009 publication, which I found very informative, how wide, how many areas of knowledge and customs and, and uh, activities, carving, music and, and so on are covered by that. So yeah, the knowledge which we might say is, is on the scientific side that you have alluded to is just one part. So yeah, it, it is a wider concept than science, I would, I would suggest, and, and, uh, because of that. So what other uh, parts of this are concerning to you? Because you've mentioned also whakapapa, and I use that at the beginning just to refer to ancestry, which is all I know that it means. But I also got the sense that in this Maturanga Māori debate, proponents of inserting more Maturanga Māori in the curriculum were using whakapapa almost as a more general concept. Yeah, and, and I've, I've, often, I've asked a few of my biological sciences colleagues who understand evolution and the relationships of species to take a greater interest to that. And we have some very learned people who have written about whakapapa from a biological standpoint. So I won't attempt to delve into the subtleties of that, but I think that's a real area where there is need, again, for more dialogue and, and to understand, well, how does this term relate to concepts in modern biology? And what can we learn from it? But uh, as I say, if it requires that we link into creation stories that go back to specific gods and creation stories, then it wouldn't sit so well with modern evolutionary thought and teaching. But this is a highly contested area, of course. Still, you, you go to the United States and or you have colleagues coming from there who are still involved in the, in the creation evolution debate. Yeah. And in modern times, so it's it, yeah, it's a very active area of, of interest. So my concern is that the term gets introduced quite quickly and, and and without necessarily a lot of definition or thought and explanation for teachers how they should use whakapapa as well as how they should use Māori. And uh, so, as I say, that's also been been removed from the, the big ideas of NCO one, and I'd like to see more discussion and dialogue to to establish how it should be used within school teaching. Right, because it occurs to me again that the skeptics of more Maturangamari in the school curriculum, they're not necessarily saying that the notion of ancestry is completely silly. Of course, we need a notion of ancestry, mm. but what idea of ancestry do we have? And it may be, for example, that traditional notions of ancestry don't quite get us to some of the things that we've discovered more recently in, in more mainstream science, which is, you know, the way that genetics functions, which is something that actually has eluded everybody in the world until quite recently, right? Until until Mendel and, and to the well, sort of well, that's right. Mendelian yes, synthesis. And, right. Yes, and, and, and more recently, the Watson Crick and the DNA, yeah. understanding how that works. and Yeah, yes, which has yes, only been, what, 70 or 80 years, I think, right? Since Watson yes, and Crick? Yes, and some of the, the, the deeper insights of how transitions between species and evolution can be related to fragments of the DNA is, is even more recent. So it's a quite new knowledge and, and understanding, yeah. Okay, so a final question then. So I just found out, you know, you had this background as a Catholic priest and you have Maori Papa, 
and it seems like you're someone who has some place for what you might call the spiritual in a, in a human life. So uh, w- what is the place of the spiritual in human life, I guess? That's a big question, but <laughs> to boil it down or to, to make it a bit more specific to what we're talking about now, you've also said something like, you know, uh, that isn't the place of Modi in the school curriculum. The place of Modi and Fakapap in the school curriculum aren't in the science class. They aren't in the chemistry and biology classes. So where do we talk about these spiritual notions? Yeah, it'd be, that's interesting in the, in the modern secular school environment. So as I say, I came through and was teaching in, the, in one of the Catholic integrated schools. So, of course, we had religious studies as a subject where a number of all these spiritual ideas and, and the practice of the faith and, and the church would be brought in. And then we'd go and do our chemistry quite separately. I did enjoy the year 13 syllabus and the Catholic system now has a whole course about meaning where you look at various philosophical ideas and the place of science and, and, and everything. It's a, it's a course that I know students really respond to who are interested in, in making sense of the world and, and looking at meaning. So uh, yeah, I think there is a place for, for this for students to start their journey. Every, they're all, I think everyone is reflecting on this to, to some extent and it's not necessarily taught in, in the mainstream science part of it. So it's always been an area that's been uh, of great interest to me. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the answer is as to where that should be taught more or less. And uh, is it outside school? Is it outside the university? Or does it get included more in the, you know, there's always choices people have to do religious studies and arts degrees. That's why I did both a BA and a BSc. So in fact, I got a philosophy degree as well from your current university, Victoria University of Wellington. And uh, really have always enjoyed delving into the classics. So I, I dare say that some my favourite uh, philosophical texts were Plato's Dialogues. So I must have a chat to you about some ideas in that sometime, knowing your expertise in those areas. So look, I'm waddling around a bit here, but uh, as I say, I think there's very interesting topics. Where they fit in the curriculum, I, I'm not sure exactly where, where to say. Well, no, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, there's a place in the curriculum for discussions of, for example, the soul, the immortality of the soul. What, right, know, right. Uh, different conceptions of the soul, even in antiquity. So, you know, yes, uh, w- yes. I read with some of my Latin students this great poem by Lucretius it's called on the nature of the universe and he tries to explain everything with regard to the movement of atoms in a void you know it's strikingly right, modern, right, including the spirit right. he thinks the spirit's made up of atoms so yeah there are lots yes, of places yes. where you can discuss the history of concepts in different cultures and yes, there are also yes. lots of places in civil society where you can if you if you want if you like one of these spiritual conceptions you can sort of lean into that but maybe right, that's a separate right. conversation than what we're putting into the to the biology and chemistry curriculum but thanks very much, Paul. Okay. This was great. Thanks, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm glad that you came on and because we really need more sort of nuanced discussion of this debate, as you were saying. And I'm going to put a link to your excellent article, Maturangamarian Chemistry great, Teaching, great. Modi is Present in All Matter, under the podcast. So thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Have a good day.